0: Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. Now, my thunder has been stolen slightly because you all know what we're talking about, which is love. But imagine that you don't know that. If you could summarise what it means to be a healthy human being in one word, I wonder what word you might choose. There's a word that we might look at in a moment. Let's hold that as a mystery for now. Uh, Depending on what worldview you subscribe to, or maybe your flatmates subscribe to, or maybe your housemates, or your colleagues, or your parents, or whoever it might be, they might use any number of different words. I wonder if you can see and spot the worldviews behind this uh, version of a healthy person. So let's take the next slide up. Here are some words that people might use. Detach. Submit, consume, climb, dominate, conquer, escape, survive, succeed, affirm, tolerate, deconstruct, achieve, earn. These are all different visions of what a healthy person does, what it means to live the good life, what uh, people should do in their lives if they want to be a good person. But for followers of Jesus, I know the suspense is killing you. Wanting to see human flourishing more and more the way that Jesus of Nazareth sees human flourishing. For us, it's very simple. Drum roll. It's love, which you already knew because everyone had already talked about it. Now, I don't know if you remember a little uh, throwback. Uh, This man, Bishop Michael Curry, preaching at the royal wedding of Meghan and Harry a few years back. Uh, People remember that? absolutely captivating communicator. uh, And part of, I think, the joy of watching it, maybe this was just me, but was the the fun of watching this kind of two cultures collide, of this kind of passionate, poetic, prophetic, uh, black preacher man bringing a load of the royal family uh, to church in a way that they'd never experienced before and seeing their slight bewilderment. uh, I think we've got some pictures here um, of them looking a little bit perplexed at what's going on. (laughs) found that to be a very entertaining uh, thing. But it, it wasn't simply his, uh, his prophetic, spiritually anointed uh, kind of communication gift that people remembered. If you remember, it was the substance of what he communicated to the royal family, to Meghan and Harry, and to billions watching around the world. His subject matter that struck a chord was love. He asked the royal family, and billions watching... To, and there's a quote here think and imagine a world where love is the way. Imagine our homes and families where love is the way. Imagine neighborhoods and communities, maybe the very ones you turned and prayed for, where love is the way. Imagine governments. And nations where love is the way. Imagine business and commerce where this love is the way. Imagine this tired old world where love is the way. And the Apostle Paul and the Holy Spirit who inspired him to write Galatians want you to think and imagine the exact same thing. So much so that right at the outset of his description of the sort of things the Spirit wants to do in your life, the sort of things the Spirit wants to do in our church, he starts, he leads with love. Love comes first. And I want to dare to suggest that he's not only saying that love is the first Outworking of the Spirit's work in our lives, but rather that He's saying that the main, the primary, the summary thing the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives is to produce love. That love is actually the category title for the rest of the things that the Spirit wants to do in us. Now, why do I say that? A few quick reasons. Uh, to try and convince you. As we've heard, uh, read to us by Jimmy, Jesus agrees in Luke chapter 10 with a religious guy who summarizes the whole Bible as love. Jesus says that is right. Vertical love to God, horizontal love to neighbor. Paul, in the chapter of Galatians that we've been looking at, Galatians chapter 5, has said slightly earlier that the only thing that counts, that is a bold statement, <laughs> The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Then he summarized the whole Jewish law as love, your neighbor as yourself. And in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, uh, that kind of famous passage all about love, that there's loads of things to think about in life. Uh, Three of them are faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And interestingly for our series that we're going to be in for the whole term, in that 1 Corinthians 13 passage, many of the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit are mentioned by Paul as important, but they're not mentioned as their own separate category that you need to think about like a list. They're mentioned as descriptors, as applications, as outworkings of a primary thing that's called love. And so he says love is patient. Not love's important, patience is important, kindness is important, but these are what love is like. He's saying that all of these different aspects are important because they are what love looks like on the ground, and love is supremely important. The greatest of these is love. Nicky Gumbel summarizes the fruit of the Spirit like this. Joy is love rejoicing. Peace is love at rest. Patience is love waiting. Kindness is love interacting. Goodness is love initiating. Faithfulness is love keeping its word. Gentleness is love empathizing. Self-control is love resisting. So in a sense, I've been given the task for the next uh, 90 minutes or so to, uh, I'm joking, to explain to you and appeal to you love. But in a sense, all you need to do to understand love is come back for the next eight weeks because what does love look like? Well, it looks like all of these other things we're going to spend the term talking about. So I could sit down and we could all go home before 12. But we're not going to do that because what I want to do is... Look at Jesus' answer to the question, what does real love look like? And that comes in the form of the story that Jimmy read to us in Luke chapter 10. As you heard, Jesus is approached by a religious man who asks him, as religious men often like to do, a religious question. And they agree that the whole of the Bible is about love. And then the guy does what religious men often do, which is they try and get out of the biblical call to love. (laughs) And instead tie themselves up in a theological discussion. And he says, well, what's love really? What does that really mean? And who's my neighbor anyway? And Jesus tells him this story. So this story, the Good Samaritan, is not a kid's story. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God's answer to the question, what does love actually look like? And to summarize it, the story goes like this. A Jewish man was beaten up and left for dead in an incredibly dangerous part of town. Two religious, theologically astute, upstanding, knowledgeable employees of the local religious establishment Totally ignore him. And then a third man from Samaria of all places embodies the love of God at great cost to himself and sees to it that this man on the ground is cared for, noticed, protected, healed. So much so that Jesus of Nazareth ends the little moral lesson for the day by pointing to the Samaritan as an example to all of us when he says to each and every follower of Jesus down the ages, go and do the same. So what does love look like? What does the Holy Spirit mean when he says he wants to birth the fruit of love in you? He means this. This is the story that we need to look at. And from it, I think we learn a few things which I haven't numbered to keep you on your toes So there could be infinite amounts. But firstly, real love feels for another. All three men walk past and near to the person. And all three men see the person. But only the Samaritan felt something. Verse 3, he felt compassion. The loving Samaritan lets his heart go out to another person imagining for a moment what it must be like to be this person, and instead of then shutting down or hardening up, instead let himself feel that feeling. But notice what the loveless, religious preacher types feel. Crucially, notice that it isn't hatred, okay? It's not hatred. They don't go up to the person on the ground, stamp on him, spit on him, stab him again, and say, I hate you, you scumbag. Because they're far too religious for that. Far too respectable. Just like most of us. But what they feel, something really equally as cold, they feel nothing. Or just not quite enough to care. But as Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel repeatedly said, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. I want to suggest it is a low bar that we have set ourselves as disciples of Jesus if our goal in life is to not hate people. What might the Spirit of God want to do about our indifference? We learn another thing from this story. Real love moves towards another. The religious ones notice the man. They see the situation, but for one reason or another, they move away, as you can see in our picture, from the person. The person that God is calling them to love. The person that they're probably rushing to a religious meeting to hear a talk about love. But God puts a person in their place to love, but they miss him because they're moving away. Because they see the person not so much as a person, but as an epicenter, a reservoir of pain. And so they want to run from the pain. And we tend to judge them like you're all doing now and I'm doing now because they're the baddies in the story. But that is not like unheard of human behavior. That is basic, instinctive, natural human behavior. Because when we see pain, we want to back away from pain because pain is hard. Pain is messy. Pain is, here's your big quote to write down, painful. And so we either run away from pain or, as any people who've experienced chronic long-term illness will testify about their friendship circle, we tend to slowly retreat from pain because it's a bit much for us. But the Samaritan doesn't back away. The Samaritan, it says, was going over to him. There's a going over that the Spirit wants to do in us. It's not enough to see. It's not enough to feel. There's a going over. He moves towards the person, seeing not just the pain, but the person behind the pain. And the Spirit wants to grow that instinct in me and in you that when someone is in the pain of sickness or loneliness or stress or sorrow or poverty or being bullied at school or being alienated or being unseen, love goes over to the person. We see another thing. There could be ten. Who knows? But here's the third Real love crosses barriers. The shocking thing about this story is that the hero is a Samaritan, a despised Samaritan. Now, Samaritans versus Jews was a centuries-old, entrenched, vicious divide. That was in part to do with ethnicity, in part to do with theology, in part to do with politics. An example in our world today might be two families of many generations either side of the Israel-Palestine divide who've seen generation after generation caught up in and destroyed by hatred and hurt that runs so deep and is so entangled with so many facets that it's impossible to really get a handle on it and to begin to imagine a way to even unpick it. That's what is in this story. And it is the Samaritan that feels compassion and moves towards a Jew on the ground. What a radical act of barrier breaking from the Samaritan. And more importantly, what a radical act of barrier breaking from Jesus to choose as his hero in this story, the Samaritan. There are so many other things we could say about this story. Here's just three. We could look at, if there was time, which there isn't, that real love pays a cost. It's the man's own donkey and his own money that he puts on the line in the name and the cause of love. We could look at love requires time. The man is walking slowly enough and has enough space in his life, in his schedule, to be interruptible by a person God puts in his life to love. We could look at love being a community calling, because you see the Samaritan, the, the the good Samaritan, doesn't see the wounded, hurting person as a trophy to keep as his little project, so he feels like a goody. He doesn't fuel an unhealthy and self-serving dependence on him, but rather he does all he can. He goes in hard, he pours himself out, and then he goes to the inn and he says. Right, innkeeper, gonna need you to come in on this too. Could you could you get involved here? And real love today doesn't build to ourselves and that needy bit of us that loves to be loved. We don't build to ourselves, we build into the body of Christ and we love as a family and as a community and as a team in partnership with one another. Because a person does not need a little human savior, they need the body of Christ where Jesus walks, and so we love as a community. And we could look at that, but there's no time, so we won't look at that. But what I want to do before we're done is I want to apply this story and this call to love in three ways that I think the Spirit wants us as Church Central South to particularly take to heart. There are three S's, skin color, Sunday mornings, and seeking God. And we're going to look at those, and then we're going to worship God. God in response. First thing that the Spirit of God wants us to think about is skin color. I think the Spirit of God wants us to love people of a different skin color to us. Now, why is it that we even need to say that? (laughs) It's a shame, but I think we do need to say it. And here's just a few thoughts on why we need to think about this. In recent centuries, in the Western world, people who had a skin color quite similar to me, this kind of um, pinkish, is, is quite pasty, isn't it? But kind of pinkish skin color, constructed very deliberately a way of dividing the people of the world that God has made based on the tone of our skin, based on the amount of melanin in someone's skin. And more than that, people with my sort of skin color, this kind of pinkish skin color, used a very deliberate term to describe this shade of skin, which was this word white. Even though, I don't know if you've noticed this, very few people in the world have white skin. Have you noticed that? It's a little sociology lesson for you. Now, why did they choose the term white? Well, it was deliberate because white is a term in the Bible and in the cultural imagination of many people groups around the world that is seen as linked to purity and radiance and goodness. And so when people like me with pinkish skin began to use the term white, it was a deliberate step to try and tie a certain group of people to being seen as in the world as better and more holy than people whose skin had more melanin in it. It's just ludicrous and demonic. But if you do that and you go for that and you buy that lie, then it's not many steps before you're able to justify acts like taking people's land or money or resources or cultural heritage or taking people And living downstream of this, you're like, why is he talking about this? Living downstream from this, as we do in 21st century Britain, means that even if we don't agree with those acts, which I sure as heck hope we disagree with those acts, and even if we don't agree with those beliefs, which I really hope we don't agree with those beliefs, we can still carry, because we live downstream from this in our culture, we breathe the air that carries assumptions, biases, nervousness around people of a different skin color to us. And the really tragic thing about that is if those assumptions that we can all have are left silenced or too awkward to mention, or unadmitted, or unacknowledged, or unexamined, or unchallenged, we can end up in a very strange place, which is where we direct any love the Spirit of God patiently births in us towards people who just have the same skin color as us. But my friends, as Jesus who was not someone who had pinkish skin like me. Models to us, love crosses boundaries. It crosses barriers that have been put up in society. And the church of Jesus is one new humanity with the dividing wall of hostility demolished through the cross of Christ. And that is not to say that difference doesn't exist. It is not to say that we aren't gloriously different in a whole range of ways that is for our joy and our flourishing. But now through the cross of Christ, we are not only different, we are also united as family under Jesus. And the love of heaven is to flow not into little pockets, but through and among all of his people. And I want to encourage us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit on this one and to move towards and open up to love people with a different skin color to you. Three practices that Rich Velodas, a Puerto Rican pastor in New York, points to on this. Uh, I think these are hugely helpful questions. Have you eaten with someone of another skin color recently? Have you been into the home of someone of another skin color recently? Have you opened your home to someone of another skin color recently? And these are not three rules. These are not three bars to reach or boxes to tick. These are three provoking prompts of the Holy Spirit to help us examine whether there are areas of our life that we are not in step with Him. That's what they are. Are we okay? Are we okay? Second S, Sunday mornings. I came across this tweet in the week, and it's a very helpful reminder to me, and I wanted to share it with you as well. Uh, It says this. Next slide. (laughs) Especially at this time of year, if you feel at home in your church, please scan the room for people who don't. I know it takes a, a risk to start a conversation, But let's make sure no one leaves our churches on a Sunday feeling like no one noticed they were there. That's just a little tweet about Sunday meetings. That is actually good Samaritan language. Scan the room, notice, see, make sure someone doesn't feel unnoticed. Do you know, maybe one of the places that you can love is this very room. Maybe it isn't crossing a dangerous street where there's been a gangland murder today. Maybe it's crossing this room. Maybe it's not moving towards someone who's dying on the floor. Maybe it's moving towards someone who's dying in this church. Because they came to church and for whatever reason, the religious ones didn't seem to see them. going to leave that little leave that little silence there. Let us ensure that we keep in step with the spirit. This isn't a rule. This isn't a box to tick. This is a provoking prompt from the spirit of God to see if there are areas of our life that we are not in step with the spirit. Last thing and then we'll worship is we need to seek God. Because it is not the fruit of our efforts that is love, or the fruit of our theology that is love, or the fruit of listening and nodding to talks that is love, or the fruit of deciding in response to the talk about love that we are going to try and be loving that is love. It is the fruit of the Spirit that is love. We need to drink from God. We need to look to God And we need to remember and live in and experience afresh his great love for us. Because as 1 John tells us, when we know that we are loved, then our love comes in response. We love because he first loved us. And when we see that in a very real sense, we were down on the ground, we were left for dead under the wages of our sin, And people with their little religious salvation systems walked on past. But then the true good Samaritan, Jesus Christ, felt compassion for us, moved towards us, crossed every barrier from heaven to earth, from the divine to the godless, and he crossed it and came to us. And when he, not with a donkey and some cash, but with his life, Paid the greatest cost of self-sacrificial love the world has ever seen. For you and I, when we see that, when we remember that, when we live in that, then the fruit of the Spirit is love. And he bubbles up in us and we begin, even us, who are naturally insular insular and loveless, we get empowered to love. Just a little bit more like him in our lives.